Untitled Field Storming Podcast. This was an awesome weekend for college football. We saw a lot of great games. Uh, rivalry week was huge. Uh, multiple teams stormed the field. One of the biggest ones was Michigan uh, over Ohio State at home. Big house. Sam, you were there this weekend. How was it? Yeah, this was, uh, it was a movie start to finish. Um, I didn't come into the game with a lot of confidence, but I, you know, just the way the game started and the way that Michigan kind of, you know, drove the ball down the field on that first drive, it just, it felt different. And, you know, the atmosphere in the stadium, like I've seen games in the big house before, but there's something about snow that really completes the scene. Uh, you know, it, it was, it was just amazing. Start to finish. Like it, it was electric. Uh, the, stadium pump uh they played pump it up after every touchdown which was <laughs> sick um, my dad asked me after the game he's like what's that pump it up song called i'm like it's 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 pretty easy to figure out what's called um but it was just electric and it was it was like everybody in that stadium that was a michigan fan there's a lot of ohio state fans there um it was just 10 years of bs and aggression taken out um their most hated opponent and you know uh you know television espn fox they make field stormings look really amazing and i've always like sat at home and watched alabama get upset or clemson or some some team get upset and i've just been like dang how cool would it be to be a part of that whether it's like a football game or a basketball game it's just it always looks so cool the atmosphere is always amazing and it's just i've always wanted to be a part of one and yeah once the once the game once michigan stopped them in that last drive my dad and i we started working our way towards the field kind of pushing 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 and like it's funny because you watch it on tv watch field storming on tv and you just see people running and it was like I started, I was like, all I wanted to do was like push. Okay. I'm trying to get on the field, trying to get on the field. And then I jump over the railing and I land on the field. I'm like, what am I doing? What do I do now? <laughs> In no um, man's land. Yeah. So I just, I kind of walked around the field for a little bit. Um, got back up, walked, walked uh, back up into the stands. And I just kind of like, you know, took it all in um, watching, watching people mill around on the field, but then like turning around and looking outside and seeing all the people like, getting in their cars to leave and still walk around stadium. And we didn't leave right. for three hours after the game. Cause the traffic we're at, the, we're on the golf course oh, across right. the state and the traffic was just ridiculous. So we were just like, all right, well, we'll just, we'll just stay here. But um, it's probably going bonkers. I can only imagine. Yeah. I wish I could have stayed in Ann Arbor that night, but I was, I was just tired. I had to get up at three 30 to uh, drive across. Oh, geez. And not get into, uh, get into the golf course, but what do you, uh, uh yeah. What, what do you think is the difference? You know, it's been, it's been 10 years um, since Michigan won this game, long time, a lot of frustration. Um, you know, like you said, you weren't expecting a win going into this game. What, what, what was like, what do you think changed the uh, the script this time around? I think you really have to credit Jim Harbaugh here because, you know, we're in the heat of the coaching carousel right now and we're seeing a lot of teams, uh, universities get tired of their guy. And the big question last year when Michigan had a bad season, uh, whether that could be attributed to COVID or whatever, it was, okay, is Harbaugh going to stay? Is Harbaugh going to go? But what Michigan ended up doing was they, you know, they reworked his contract. He brought in a new defensive coordinator, made some interesting hires, and it, and it essentially started his second act at Michigan. And I think the second act has gone amazingly well so far. And I just think you have to, it's hard to be patient in college sports, but I think it just shows you that patience does work out, work out um, sometimes and that you have to be patient with the staff that you, you put, you know, to go, go on the field and deliver a product. And so I just think when we're looking at other teams elsewhere in college football that are apt to fire a coach every three years, it just shows you that you can get to, a good spot with patience and you know mm -hmm. he still has a bad record against ohio state he is 0-2 against mel tucker uh but i just think you have to credit jim harbaugh and start there and the other thing is like 
it's it is a rivalry game, and you did get them at home. And I don't I, I think in a rivalry game, regardless of you know Michigan hasn't really shown it on the field, but it, they're more competitive, and Michigan clearly wanted it more, and mm-hmm. I think it showed. I was I was surprised because the the Ohio State receivers they still they still had a day. Like CJ Stroud still threw for almost 400 yards. And that was like, it was surprising to look at the box score after watching the game and realize that they passed for that much while like watching the on the field struggles that Ohio State had moving the ball. And so yeah. it was it was interesting to me because I, I felt like if Michigan couldn't stop the receivers, then they had no no shot of winning, but they were, they Michigan stopped them to a degree. They they didn't go for any huge gains, but still, I yeah. felt like the game was done that. So, yeah, the you know the the big ones in the game that the Ohio State players made. Uh, Jackson Smith Nijba had that third down catch. Where I think it was like third and third and fifteen, third and twenty, where he caught it on the defender's back. That was that was huge. Um, kind of kept them in the game for a little bit because I think that was kind of the point where Michigan could have pulled away a little faster. Uh, and then Chris Olave had that touchdown catch, or I think it was Chris. Uh, I think I think it was Garrett Wilson uh, had yeah. that touchdown catch. Uh, that was that was nice in the, in the end zone over the defender as well. Uh, they made some plays, but they were definitely, you know, it was snowing, so it wasn't as easy for them to to throw the ball as as normal. Um, I do think that Aiden Hutchinson made a huge difference. You know, being able to get pressure on. Uh, on C.J. Stroud and making him uncomfortable. Um, Ojabwe as well, I think, did a really good job of of kind of assisting Aiden Hutchinson in that feat. Um, but, you know, the two losses that Ohio State have ha- has had this year have came to uh, very good edge rushers, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau in the first game yeah. versus Oregon. And it's, you know, maybe it's that like, even in the game. Right. Who's in it? Exactly. So it's like, is there <laughs> – I guess that's sort of the way you can you can stop Ohio State is is getting pressure on him and uh, you know kind of you know prohibiting their passing attack. Um, you know I think this is a is is a massive win for Michigan. It kind of kind of flips the script on the whole on the whole uh, the whole rivalry as a whole. You know it's just it's a new era, like you said. Jim Harbaugh is in his second act, and I think they need to pull this momentum. Uh, and keep it going, but you know now it's it's on to the next week, and they they need to beat Iowa in order to make it to the to the playoff. Yeah, it was kind of interesting, like realizing once the once the game, you know, was the 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 clock was ticking down, like realizing, okay, not only did we beat our biggest rival, but like there is a lot more on the table here. And it was like that realization of like, oh wow, this team could go to the playoff and could actually compete for a national championship, like James Earl Jones says in the introduction video before every game. Right. That all teams are supposed to do. Right. And it was kind of, it was, it was crazy because we kind of, the Michigan playoff conversation was just not a thing. Like there was very little pulse right. on Michigan big being in the playoff, having a chance at the playoff. It was kind of like, okay, yeah, they're going to mess around and be in the top 10, lose to Ohio state and they're out, you know, as per usual, we've seen this before a million times. And then, and then you're right. You know, that, that realization that, Oh shit, we're top four now. Like this isn't even our biggest game. And uh, yep. you know, I think it's coming. I think it's coming down to it. So I'm excited. I think it's going to really shake up the college football playoff and, and get some different matchups that we haven't seen. Um, and as a, yeah. as an unbiased fan, looking, looking from the outside in, like it's, it's super interesting to me. Um, I want to, I want to say that I think a lot of people didn't like the way that they were shifting JJ in and out uh, of the lineup and using him as like a different option at quarterback. And I thought it actually worked pretty well this game. Like, I think he had the defense a little off guard in some of his runs. Uh, I think he had a nice pass to the sideline that was like right over the defender, uh, dropped it in the right spot. So I think it was, I think it was good to see him like succeed while he's in the game. Um, and they, yeah. man, they seem to manage it very well too. So that was yeah. good. Yeah. I think uh, also on staying on the offensive side of the ball, I think Donovan Edwards is going to be an absolute force for Michigan once he is in more of a feature back role. Um, mm-hmm. When Michigan was driving, on one of their uh, touchdown drives, uh, it was uh, it was that drive when the Ohio State defensive back ripped off uh, a helmet. Um, oh yeah, yeah. They he Edwards was like on the field. I don't even think he was supposed to be on the field. He was like on the field, like hyping the crowd up. And they had cut to commercial, 
and he was still like outside of the Michigan huddle, like hype, trying to hype the crowd up. And I saw multiple times, like a coach trying to like drag his ass back into the huddle. And I just thought that was so funny. Cause like he was, he was vibing. And like, that was when I, when I knew like, okay, Ohio state is the bully, but they're rattled and they're, they're on the ropes. Yeah. They're in a tough spot and they kind of needed everything to go right for them and uh, to get back yeah. in that game. And it was just like, Michigan just kept, scoring and the whole time i'm thinking like when's it gonna be when michigan like lets their foot off the gas and lets ohio exactly State yeah that's game, what i was looking for too i just I thought I, it, I thought it was that pick by mcnamara at the beginning like they were they could have gone up 14-3 and he yeah threw that awful interception I'm like all right well this was fun while it lasted yeah that was a that was a tough play i think i think he was reading the i think he was reading the man coverage on the player uh, but the backside safety was playing in like sort of like a deep zone in the middle and just kind of like undercut the route from the opposite side. So like if he wasn't there, that could have been a money throw, but I think he just completely missed the safety, um, yeah. which definitely flipped the game. Like you can't throw those interceptions to start because like you said, they could go up 14 and it's a totally different game. Um, yeah. But I think the offensive line from Michigan really, really set themselves apart this game, like being able to run it down their throat consistently opened up the passing game to where you didn't have to rely on McNamara to make so many throws when you can run the ball like that. So um, I thought I thought Blake Corum was good, too. He still looks injured, though. I want to say like he had that big run. I think he got re-injured on that play. Uh, yeah, I think he I think he did, too. Like normally he scores a touchdown on that play and uh, kind of slowed up and was caught. But yeah. Yeah. I think it's just great team went all around. I think every, I think you won on all three phases. Yeah. Uh, something I want to talk about, um, you know, related to Michigan and realizing like that they could go to the playoff is like talking about playoff expansion. And so I, I want to get all my points out here. I am for an expansion of the playoff because I am in favor of more games around bowl season mattering. I think that you have to include more teams in order to make it feel like more teams matter. And I feel like even in the new year six, you have teams like, like this year, Ohio state's going to be checked out. A couple of those receivers are probably going to opt out. Oregon's going to be checked out. Thibodeau's probably going to opt out. And those are good teams. Yeah. And they're going to be, they're going to be checked out. And so, and, and I'm not saying make these kids play, but, if, well, if, the, if the you, thing is, you you're not making the play, them, yeah, not necessarily making them play. But the thing is, is from a business perspective, like those games realistically just don't matter anymore. Like they don't, they right. don't hold the same weight. And so it's like, exactly. they would play, they want to play, but like, why would you play in a game that doesn't, that doesn't matter? You know, everybody wants exactly. to play for a championship, but if you're not playing for a championship, then, you know, realistically, if you have a first round grade, go get your money. Don't get hurt. Right. Exactly. So I just, I feel like, we have to expand the playoffs so that more teams can get a shot. Like I'm talking about the Cincinnati's and the coastal Carolinas of the world. I want them to have an opportunity to compete for a national championship, like all division one football programs should. But then at the other, on the other, on the other end, I just want more games to matter during bowl season. Like mm -hmm. it doesn't, it's not fair that the postseason is boiled down to just these two semifinal games and every, nothing else is important. Even during the season, it's all about the playoff. It's all about the playoff. It's all about the playoff. Yep. A counterpoint to myself is that is a, is a weekend like this weekend where Ohio state was on the inside track for a playoff spot and they go to Ann Arbor, Michigan beats them. Not only does Michigan beat their biggest rival, but they are now in prime position for a playoff spot, which means this game was essentially a, was essentially a playoff semifinal. Yeah. And there's, there were, there's so much emphasis was on this game because it was more so like, okay, Ohio state has won this game so many times in a row, Michigan, maybe they'll win this time, but then it's like, Oh wow, Michigan is going to go to the playoff. And so mm -hmm. if you were to expand the playoff, Ohio state absolutely would get a call. And so how, how crazy would that be as a, as a Michigan fan, you get this monkey off your back, <laughs> you beat Ohio state, you're going to the playoff, but uh Oh, they are too. And yeah. if I'm in the playoff, they're probably going to be really upset. And so I just think that could be a potential drawback of the 12 team playoff is that if you include multiple teams from the same conference, you could see them getting rematched up against each other pretty early on within like a few weeks of playing each other. 
Yeah, even as far as like back to back. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you talk about like an SEC championship between Bama and Georgia. They could turn around and play each other the very next week for, you know, the first playoff game. So, yeah. Yeah. And so I just think this weekend was a nice reminder of why maybe playoff expansion is not a good idea because if you expand the playoff in both OSU and Michigan get in this game that I just witnessed, that was probably the best game I've ever watched. doesn't matter. Well, you know, maybe, maybe there's a better way to do it rather than a 12 team playoff. Like my, I personally would love a 16 playoff for the first and second team get a buy. And then, you know, sure. th- three plays, six, four plays, five. Um, and then winners, you know, go from there. I think, I think that would be cool because then you're, you know, you're allowing for a little bit more because it seems like every year we're leaving out, you know, four, five and six or seem to be the ones that, that, you know, mm-hmm. get screwed, but, you know, maybe including them and then, you know, maybe that's enough. So yeah, that, that would be mine. I think 12 would be, would be a little too much. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. Uh, speaking of 12 team playoff and expansion and semifinal games that aren't exactly semifinal games, Oklahoma state, Bedlam. They finally beat Oklahoma. Um, I thought the Pokes were going to blow this one. This game was really crazy. Uh, I didn't realize how lopsided this rivalry is in favor of Oklahoma. And mm-hmm. to be quite honest, I wonder if this game, this rivalry game is going to survive Oklahoma's move to the SEC. Uh, it might not. Honestly, it might be. It might be one of those rivalries that falls out of, you know, of its luster. You know, especially with especially with Oklahoma State winning this game right now, you know, taking taking it back and and you know Oklahoma leaving and, and becoming part of something new, um, I could totally see this not being as big of a game as it normally has been. And then you think about like who could be the next big rival for for Oklahoma, and the immediate answer has got to be Texas. Uh, you know, being in the SEC as well, so um, that could kind of replace yeah. you know replace sort of the the Oklahoma State vibe there. Yeah, because I think you could argue that Texas is a bigger rival for Oklahoma right now. Yeah, because Oklahoma they are. State, like Oklahoma State has had some really good teams that have that were better than the Oklahoma teams that year, and mm-hmm. Oklahoma still beats them. So I feel like kind of the same thing with Michigan. We kind of weren't talking about Oklahoma State. Nobody was really talking about them, and then now they they're beat, in the playoff combo. Yeah, they beat they beat uh, Oklahoma, and now they are squarely in the playoff conversation. And it's like, wow, where did this team come from? It's like we knew they were coming up, and nobody wanted to talk about them because they figured they were just going to lose to Oklahoma in this game this weekend. Yeah, I mean, the playoff discussion is going to get very interesting very quickly because uh, if Bama wins against Georgia, I think the way that you seed it is going to be very weird. Um, a win for Bama against Georgia – could possibly mean that Bama could jump all the way to one. Um, and then you might have to put Georgia at four, uh, which means they'd rematch. And then on the flip side, I think if Bama loses this game, I think Oklahoma state might get in. So everything is all up in the air. Everything's all over the place. Um, I also think with the recent news about um, Brian Kelly going to LSU, that likely means that Notre Dame has no shot. Um, yeah. So I think it's Oklahoma state, you know, they're kind of the biggest Georgia fans they've ever been. Yeah, for real. And um, did you watch this, this game? Which one? The Bama game? uh, Oh no, I didn't. Yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy game. Uh, Oklahoma state's fans, they always get really into this game. And uh, I, am just, I'm happy that Oklahoma state pulled this game off because this is another kind of monkey off your back. Mm-hmm. Mike Gundy's, Mike Gundy has been at Oklahoma State for a while, and his record against Oklahoma is was two and fourteen before this game. Wow, that is and rough. You look at you look at Harbaugh's record against um, against Ohio State. It's kind of if everything were to hold serve, maybe his record kind of tracks out to be that against Ohio State, similar to Gundy's against OU. But mm-hmm. um, Oklahoma State, I think, has an inside track to a playoff spot if they handle their business. Yeah, and they could honestly parlay all of this into being a uh, you know to to you know kind of kickstarting their program to the next level, especially with you know the new Big Twelve. They could kind of solidify themselves as being kind of one of those uh, one of those top tier teams in a Power Five conference that gets shot at the playoff because you know they win their conference. So 
um, they're in a good spot as long as they can keep the momentum going. And I think with the recent uh, the recent news about Lincoln Riley going to USC, this kind of further helps uh, Oklahoma State's argument of you know reaching that next level. Yeah, let's talk about that. So Saturday night, the job that Lincoln Riley was rumored to be leaving Oklahoma for was LSU. Mm-hmm. And after the game, he said that he wasn't leaving for LSU, which what turned out to be facts because the next day he left for USC. And before we kind of talk about USC, I just wanted to say, like, this really puts a bow on Oklahoma's season because it really shows you how far that they that whole program has fallen from their preseason expectations. Yep. You know, they were considered, myself included, to have their best shot at winning a national title this year with Bama reloading. Uh, Georgia, we didn't know was going to be this competitive. Oregon, the Pac-12, not a clear contender. Ohio State, maybe OU could beat them. Um, And they were led by preseason Heisman favorite, Spencer Rattler, who was benched midseason, is now officially leaving in lieu of the Lincoln-Riley news. He's officially entering the transfer portal, who, and he's going to make himself a very sought-after commodity. It's going to be very interesting to see what program is able to uh, win his services for next season. Um, it's it's crazy. The coaching carousel is crazy to me because your inconsistent and unstable programs, typically the ones with money, like Texas, LSU, Florida, USC. Those, pro- those USC, those programs with openings, they come for that consistent, stable program and they prey on them. And now Oklahoma looks like a dumpster fire. There yeah. are people transferring out of the program. They're getting decommits. Like Oklahoma for so long has been a stable, consistent program under Bob Stoops and throughout the whole Lincoln Riley tenure. And now it's like, wow. Yeah, it, it's just everything just blew up uh, in their face and they don't really have anywhere to go with it. You know, but I think I think with all the with all the negativity in the air, um, you know, there is there is a silver lining that they make they make the right hire for a guy that's going to be there for the long run. And, yeah. um, you know, looking at Lincoln Riley's personality uh, and what he brings to the table, I don't even necessarily think that it made that much sense in Oklahoma. Like as a as a savvy, sexy QB guru that just pumps as a quarterback factory, uh, I don't really think that's like all that cool in Norman, Oklahoma. Like they're they used to be a run first team like RBU was the biggest thing they had. And uh, I think going getting back to that. Uh, as a powerful running team, especially as you enter the SEC, uh, could bring them back to form. And I think that, you know, his personality going out West uh, to LA fits more in terms of what he's trying to do with his offense. So I think this could end up working for both uh, for both parties down the line, although it does look very bleak for Oklahoma right now. Yeah. And I, we can talk about the Lincoln Riley thing now, just because it's, it's funny to me because USC has been open <clears throat> the coaching vacancies for the longest time. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about how, oh, the Pac-12 needs USC to be good in order to be a re- respectable conference. And this hire has completely changed my perception of them. I'm excited to watch USC next year. I'm looking forward to seeing them in a bowl game against a team from the SEC or the Big 12 like I am instantly so intrigued about this team and I am yeah. so excited to watch the trophy next year. And it is amazing to me what this hire has done for people like me and the perception of USC. And now it's like, Oh, well, all those other PAC 12 teams better like get ready to ramp up recruiting because the, now they're competing with a monster. That's interesting to me because if you're in the PAC 12, you should know, okay, USC is down right now. They're not going to be down forever. We need to capitalize. And you look at the Pac-12 and what it was supposed to be this year. Arizona State, I think, was supposed to be like a fringe playoff Pac-12 contender. And that completely blew up in Herm's face. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jaden Daniels was not like the transcendent quarterback that maybe some close to that program believed he would be. So they missed. UCLA uh, didn't have a good year. And now the US- the USC train might be might be rolling already by next year. And so it's interesting to me that we talk about, oh, well, USC's down and we need them to be good. And now they're trending towards being back. And now it's like, oh, well, you guys better get ready. It's like these Pac-12, these other Pac-12 teams should have been 
building like preparing for this and now i just feel like everybody's like oh good luck guys and it's like yeah they kind of utah still utah cristobal's building something out oregon like yeah and oregon's not oregon's not powerful enough to do it on their own um you know and i feel like that's how it is for most pac 12 teams is even when the torch is in front of them nobody can seem to come up and rise to the occasion we see it we see it with every with every other conference when uh, you know, in the ACC, when Florida State is down, Clemson is still up. And even though this year Clemson had a bad year, you know, every single year it seems that uh, either Clemson's up or Miami's up or Florida State's up, but somebody takes the torch. And when you have nobody there to take the torch, I think that's where uh, that's where everything can kind of fall apart. But I think the mm-hmm. most interesting thing about uh, Lincoln Riley and USC is he is in like the hub where the most players come out of like the most five-star players, the highest level recruits are coming out of LA and they're going everywhere. Uh, They're going to Oregon. They're going to Bama. They're going to Michigan. They're going to Ohio state. Like these players are leaving. They have been leaving forever, but now it's like, if you can keep these players home, you can shake up a lot of things. Right. And like, there is so much quarterback talent over in LA that he can just absolutely pump quarterbacks out year after year after year. And I think uh, things could get very interesting in the PAC 12 with a good USC. Um, You know, there's only so many five-star quarterbacks and the number doesn't go up like, you know, 24 seven only rates 25 quarter, I mean, 25 players as a five-star and most of them are either in Florida or in LA. And I think if USC is snagging a lot of those, they could be taking some serious talent away from some other schools. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting that in the next couple of years to see kind of that talent shift go back out West and see those teams kind of rise back to where they should be. Yeah. And do you think this is a benefit for the overall PAC 12 kind of, I'm trying to talking off of what you said there. Do you think that it will cause other recruits to stay out West because they want to beat USC because they're, they want to play against USC? Like, do, well, do you I, think, I, I do don't you think- know. If- I don't know if it necessarily is going to create that off the bat, but I think what it's going to do is it's going to, it's, it's overall going to pull the, the, the conference as a whole upwards. Um, And it's going to, it's going to, you know, if you have that top dog that's competing at a high level, the the effects are going to, you know, help the other programs out as well. And so I think those programs are going to get better and they're going to get good recruits as well. And they're going to have their shot at USC down the road. And I think that's where you're going to see some guys sort of stay over there. It's like, hey, maybe Cal isn't as bad of an option as we thought, or maybe, you know, Arizona State is, is more appealing than it was before because um, we get to play in those big games at USC. So I think that there's kind of a connection there. I don't think it's right off the bat, but I think it's a little down the road. But I definitely think it's going to help everybody. Um, but, you know, I think it's interesting looking back and, and kind of looking at some of the recruits that uh, that have came out of L.A. in terms of like, them going to completely different places and like they yeah. could have stayed and, yep. and maybe those guys do stay in the future. Like you think about a Bryce young, like Bryce young was committed to USC before he decommits flips to Bama. Now he's a Heisman front runner. You know, what if Bryce young was at USC right now with Lincoln Riley, yeah. like the next Bryce young for sure is going to be at USC and because, and there's not a hundred Bryce youngs in the league. So like, if you have the Bryce Young at USC, that means there's not one at Bama. And that means you're taking talent from somewhere else. So I think it's going to be cool to see that talent be in LA and, uh, and, and have a presence on the West coast, because really the West coast has had very little presence over the past couple of years. Yeah. Cause I think what you'll see is whether it's Keaton Slovis or Jackson Dart, I kind of hope it's Jackson Dart next year. They will come out looking like a completely different quarterback. Oh yeah. And, it's it. I think like I think I'm very confident in Lincoln Riley's ability to get the most out of his quarterbacks. And I think it's one thing when you're a five star and you're just signing to a big school that maybe doesn't have the infrastructure to help you. And like anybody can f- sign five stars. We just talked about Missouri a couple weeks ago and they're signing a five star wide receiver. Like mm-hmm. every once in a blue moon, everybody gets a five star. And so it's another thing to get be get a five-star and be USC and what we hope and think they will be under Lincoln Riley and know that you can turn that five-star into a first round prospect. Yeah. And the thing is, is they've had the history there too. You know, USC has had a lot of quarterbacks come out and uh, be drafted very high, you know, Carson Palmer, Matt Leiner, uh, just to name a few. And so I think, you know, combine that history with Lincoln Riley right now. And I think they're going to be the hottest spot in the nation for quarterbacks to go to. And I think it could be very cool. 
you know, the other thing too is Pac-12 defenses aren't exactly that great. And so you can showcase your talent very well. You know, Lincoln Riley going to play in like a, in, a, in the SEC where you're playing against very good defenses is tough. Uh, you know, it's hard to show your talents when you're playing against Bama's defense. You know, you play against Colorado's defense and it's a lot easier to throw for five touchdowns. Right. So, yeah, I, I think the fit makes perfect sense. I completely understand why he would go. Um, you know, I think USC is going to get a Jordan deal very soon. And I think uh, I think they're going to blow up. So. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I was very sick and tired of seeing uh, USC Stadium have literally like zero fans there 10 minutes before kickoff. Yeah, and I, those pictures of Riley up there for the press conference where it's the stadium and then you could see LA in the background. Like, I didn't realize that was it's, the that's downtown. It's downtown. It's, you know, whereas UCLA is UCLA is far out um, right. from the city. It's hard to get to, which makes sense for why they have some low attendance, but about, you know, USC is right downtown, very close to Hollywood. So that's why, you know, back in the early 2000s when they were when they were uh, one of the best football schools in the country, uh, you know, they were like they were their players were like the first celebrity players because they were around the Hollywood scene um, and they're around downtown all the time. So, you know, paparazzi was always around them and it made it made being there very cool. So I could see NIL helping them a ton um, as well as being in that market. So. USC has to be on the rise. I really hope this isn't like a, like a total flop. Um, Cause that would just, it wouldn't be interesting. Like I think it's going to be so much more interesting if USC is good. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. I feel like, you know, Lincoln Riley's not a sure thing, but I have a lot of confidence in him. And obviously we don't want to be evaluating coaching hires before they start, but I think at least at the very least, Lincoln Riley will produce a first round quarterback when he's at USC. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested just to see what he does with Keaton Slovis. You know, right. you, you just, I think he could take him, like you said, and he can come out looking like a completely different player and showcasing his talents at a very high level. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, we could walk into next year thinking we know how the quarterback lineups are going to go, um, thinking that Bryce Young is the clear-cut first overall pick. And, you know, who knows? Maybe Keaton Slovis comes out and is slinging it and, you know, becomes that, that one-year wonder type of guy where he's in the top five. Yep, Absolutely. Do you want to keep talking about coaching stuff or you want to jump to another game? Um, on the topic of coaching stuff, we can just mention uh, Florida hiring Billy Napier real quick. I don't have a lot to say about this. I think it's just, you know, he was the hottest guy out there in terms of being a G5 guy with a lot of uh, a lot of steam behind him. So it makes sense that Florida got him. I guess we're going to see where that goes, but that's the news there. Yeah, um, I just I find it funny that, you know, he was the biggest commodity on the market and that yeah. Florida Florida very quickly opened and then Florida is filled and within they, like two weeks. They within a yeah. And it's just I, I kind of I I know that, you know, the USC coaching search and the LSU coaching search has been a lot more drawn out, but something about how quickly Florida acted and the the fact that LSU had the most exposure to Billy Napier because he's in the state, the fact that LSU had an opportunity to hire a guy like that and they didn't, I think it really makes the LSU-Florida rivalry super spicy because mm-hmm. Napier should have gotten more consideration at LSU than he did. And I think it's going to be I interesting agree. to hear like the fallout of the coaching searches as the months progress, like how – maybe LSU didn't respect Napier as a candidate as much as some of the other people. Right. And I think, I think LSU, um, you know, kind of shot themselves in the foot there because uh, I, I personally think that Billy Napier would have been a much better hire than Brian Kelly at, um, at Louisiana or at LSU. Um, you know, I think Florida won this hire over LSU and I think it's going to show on the field because I personally don't think that Brian Kelly is a very good fit Um at LSU. I don't, I don't really see it working out all that well. I think he kind of went more for the money more than anything, but maybe I'm, maybe I'm completely wrong. And maybe Brian Kelly is an awesome coach, but uh, from my perspective, I don't think so. You know, the other thing to talk about too, with, uh, with this coaching carousel conversation is with Brian Kelly going down to LSU, um, it begs the question, who's going to take the job at Notre Dame. And the prime candidate right now is, uh, is Marcus Freeman, the defensive coordinator. But the problem that they're going to have is Brian Kelly wants to make Marcus Freeman, the highest paid assistant coach in the country at LSU. And he's pulling for like an absurd amount of money to bring down Marcus Freeman, which would make the job even harder to fill at Notre Dame. And then the question is, does Bill, does, uh, does Luke Fickle leave Cincinnati 
for Notre Dame, who he just beat during the regular season, you know? So there's a lot going on there, but I think LSU, I think LSU definitely just kind of shot themselves in the foot because they're probably going to have to take Marcus Freeman and they're probably going to have to dish out a ton of money for him as well. Yeah. I, uh, this LSU Brian Kelly thing is so strange because it makes a job like Notre Dame and Oklahoma look completely undesirable when both of those teams have made playoffs and LSU and USC outside of LSU's national title run have not made the playoffs. Right. They haven't, they haven't really done anything. And and that whole LSU thing is kind of uh, from, you know, looking at it now is kind of more of a product of the superstar players that were there, you know, because all of them seem to be doing well in the NFL, Um, you know, with the Joe Burrow, Justin Jefferson and Jamar chase. Um, So, yeah, man, it's, it's very interesting because, you know, I always thought that Notre Dame was one of like the best jobs in the country. Um, I kind of thought like that Notre Dame was a better job than, than LSU. Like from my perspective, it might be because I'm a Midwestern guy, but um, I just, you know, now I'm like, is it not? Yeah. I think a lot of people are kind of looking in the mirror right now and trying to figure out what's what, when, I mean, Everybody's do you think it's, got, do you think it's a product? You think it's a product of Notre Dame not being in a conference? I don't know if it's that. I just think it's, you know, maybe Brian Kelly's frustrations for, of like, getting his team to the playoff, but then realizing how far behind he is on the field with those other playoff contenders. Maybe it's his. It's a desire, and that's that's the other thing that we we kind of like make these coaches out to be bad guys when they jump to different sh- different jobs in a vacuum. If somebody wants a different opportunity, by all means, they should go for it. And especially I think yeah. for, for a coach like Lincoln Riley or Brian Kelly that probably go to bed every night thinking of Alabama or LSU's receivers running all over them after they get to the playoff. I think, I think these are both valid. Yeah. I don't, I don't fault them for, leaving but it just i don't think the sport is better for it i agree you know and i think part of it too is money as well like you know the amount of money that's being thrown at lincoln riley is kind of like how do you how do you not take that money like as a as like put yourself in that situation where like you know you're getting a contract for 110 million dollars uh you know your houses are getting bought out you're moving to la from oklahoma you got a family He's got a couple of girls. I'm sure they'd love to live in LA over Norman, Oklahoma. Um, and you get to access the private jet whenever you want. Like, how do you turn that offer down? Like, I don't, I don't really know how anybody does. So I don't fault him at all for that. Um, right. I don't really fault Brian Kelly for it either. I think it's just the nature of, of business because it is a business, but yeah, I mean, that's really the big news. I mean, Virginia tech is the small fish on this one, just getting, uh, you know, Brent pry, from from Penn State, massive hire, really really big program changing guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, can, you, can you talk about that a little more? Let's get let's give all these coaching hires some justice here. Yeah, no, this this honestly, I I like it. You know, Virginia Tech is not a flashy school. They don't make they don't do flashy things. That's why they're cool. They're in their own. They're kind of in their own little space. And um, I think this hire fits them perfectly. Uh, Pride has done a great job uh, defensively for. Uh, for Penn State, he was also the linebackers coach while being the defensive coordinator, and he put out players like Micah Parsons into the NFL. Um, he recruited a lot of Virginia players. Micah Parsons, I believe, was also from Virginia. Uh, Yeter Gross Matos was from Virginia as well, and uh, he knows the landscape. And part of that Virginia Tech's job is to be able to know the landscape and to be able to recruit Virginia. Um, and they needed a guy that could do that. They needed a guy that could bring back the defensive identity that they lost. Um, so I think he checks both of those boxes. And um, he's kind of the Bud Foster hire that they should have made back in 2016. So um, I'm all on board right now. I just think, you know, it's the, it's the way the chips fall. I think they wanted Napier, but Florida swung in and took him. So they got, you know, they got the next best thing. Yeah. I think when we talk about USC and Lincoln Riley and USC fans desire to watch USC quarterbacks get turned out, I think the hope for Virginia tech is that a guy like Brent Pry can come in and crank out, linebackers and quarterbacks in the first Mm -hmm. because that's just the Virginia tech identity. Like, would it be cool to get a Michael Vick in there? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's Virginia tech's identity. That's I think what you hope to see in the future. Virginia tech is, is that, is that nasty defensive team that you don't want to face no matter what 
no matter what offense you trot out in the field, you don't want to play them because they hit hard. Uh, they cover well and they make you look like shit. Um, and Virginia Tech has historically been the team that when you turn on tape, uh, you look your worst when you play them when you're an offensive team. So Mitchell Trubisky's worst game was against Virginia Tech. And, uh, you know, that's just like their brand is to like play well against good offenses and, and, and be the team that nobody wants to play. And they've kind of lost that. So get them back on board. Um, I'm excited for somebody with, you know, other than Fuente, I'm excited for somebody who's a defensive minded guy. I'm, I want to see who he hires as an OC because I think that's going to be very important. And um, yeah, I mean, that's really all I got on it. I think, you know, the press conference officially is going to be Thursday at 9 a.m. So I'm going to probably have more information on it later next week. You going to watch? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm waking up. It'll be the first time I'll voluntarily wake up at 9 a.m. like this whole semester. <laughs> Sweet. Um, Alabama Auburn. I was uh, I was not able to watch any of this game. Actually, I was able to watch a little bit, but I was stuck in traffic leaving Ann Arbor when the game reached its uh, its overtimes. Um, I was very surprised because I was kind of scoreboard watching, and it was ten to nothing forever. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, Auburn is going to shut out Bama!" Mm-hmm. And I feel like with the way that Alabama's kind of been flirting with disaster these last few weeks against not great opponents ending their season with a shutout loss to their in-state rival would have been catastrophic, but um, Alabama comes back. Bryce, Bryce Young leads the tide down the field to score a touchdown to tie the game at 10 and Alabama wins in four overtimes. I feel like people are kind of uh, shitting on Brian Harson because he should have gone for two in that second or third overtime. I just feel like that's, that's an interesting consideration because basically you're going to be going for two anyway in the next overtime. So you might as well just do it now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> when, when you got a team like Alabama on the ropes, maybe, maybe it's a better option to go for two in that instance, but I don't have a lot of confidence in Alabama next week against Georgia. My only thing, my only thing for Alabama would be that Georgia gets freaked out because it's Bama on the other side yep. and wins. But if Bama plays like they have been playing, I think they're going to have a very rough time against against Georgia. But I was very, very surprised that this game was so close. I feel like it would have been a great victory for Brian Harson in his first year as Auburn head coach to get a win against Alabama. But just kind of a kind of a strange game. I feel like a lot of people have been talking about this game, but the way that I kind the way that Alabama's been playing the last few weeks, I'm just kind of like not into it. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think, you know, I, I think their game against Georgia is going to be super interesting because, you know, realistically with Bryce Young, you got a chance at every single game. Like, you know, he can, if he's playing well, if he's playing, if he's making his throws, like they can, they can easily, you know, easily beat Georgia. I think realistically though, with the way they're playing, you know, it's Georgia's game to lose, but you know, there's a scenario where Bama wins. And then what do you do with seeding? Like, I think that's the next question is like, how do right. you see these teams with, with, with Bama being in there with one loss and Cincinnati being undefeated and Michigan being in there pending that they beat Iowa. It's like, how do you see this? Like, do you just put Bama and Georgia one and four and have them rematch? Like, what do you do? Yeah. Like, it just blows me away. So, but I think realistically, I think Georgia's going to win that game. And uh, you know, that'll be huge for Oklahoma state because that might end up being what pushes Oklahoma state into the top four. And I yeah. would really, I would really enjoy that. That'd be good. Yeah, absolutely. I think it would be a bad look for the playoff to be, you know, inclusive to like Michigan and Oklahoma State, but then sneak Bama in there because then you yeah. still run the risk of an Alabama championship because they have shown that they can win the whole thing as the four seed. Yeah, and they they always they play good in big games. You know, that's where that's why it's tough. They they get up for those big games. They've been there before. They know how to play in them. So it's like you know, Georgia really hasn't shown that they've been able to do that. That's why it's like you can't really just one hundred percent give this game to Georgia just yet. Yeah, but you want to jump back to uh, Virginia Tech and the Commonwealth Cup. Yeah, let's. Uh, you know, this was a this was a weird game for me to watch. Um, you know, for a lot of different reasons. I, I didn't really, I wasn't very excited about the win here. Um, I felt like Virginia just played bad more than Virginia tech played. Well, um, Brandon Armstrong just 
just didn't play well. And, um, you know, I felt like Virginia Tech needed a wake-up call, and I thought this was going to be, like, the big wake-up call, but it was more of a, hey, we're flexing on Virginia. Like, you guys are always a little brother. You're never going to beat us. And it was like, I feel like we're just, like, not looking at things correctly. Like we're just kind of being, we're just kind of blind to the real problems right now. Like, yeah, sure. We beat Virginia, but we also have a billion other issues that we need to resolve that now we're not even looking at because we beat Virginia and everything's happy. Like we're all good because we beat Virginia. And I feel like, you know, a lot of Virginia tech fans were happy about it, but for me, it was more of like a wake up call for just how far Virginia tech is from like actual success, especially because I watched this game um, right after the Michigan game. And the Michigan game from like a viewership perspective was phenomenal. Like I watched it on a big 4k TV and like I had a 4k broadcast, like the cameras were awesome. The atmosphere was great. Tons of fans. Like it was probably one of the best games I've watched all year. And then I flip it to Virginia, Virginia tech. And it's like absolutely terrible ACC network cameras suck. Like atmosphere is terrible. There's not, not even a full stadium for their rival game. Um, and just the game in general, like the, the, the level of play was just much lower. And I was just like, you know, we're just not, we're not really anywhere close right now. So, um, you know, but good on Virginia tech's interim coach. He played at tech, uh, this game meant a lot to him. So good for him. I was excited to see him get a win, but you know, other than that, it's just like, you know, it's just like Virginia tech dodged the bullet that maybe they needed. And that's kind of where I was at. Yeah, I think it's I, – I, like I said last week, I feel like you wanted Tech to lose this game, but maybe with a new coach coming in, it's good that they have some momentum riding into yeah. the whole yeah. and then next season. So. Right. Yep. And I, and I think, you know, I think it all works out. But, you know, my whole, my whole argument that Virginia Tech needs Virginia to be good is, is a very real thing. And it's, it's, yeah. almost, it's almost similar to the fact that, like – the PAC 12 needs USC to be good for them to be good. Like it's, it's yeah. that same thing. It's like a push and a pull where like the other party needs to be good as well. So, you know, I, I need Virginia to be better than they are so that it pushes Virginia tech to be even better. And I feel like, uh, you know, Bronco Mendenhall is now uh, one in five versus Virginia tech since Justin Fuente got hired. And like, those are the worst years Virginia tech might ever have. And like Virginia, yeah. Virginia couldn't, get any better yeah that's a good point some other games here that i want to talk about i feel like top to bottom this was a very this was kind of like a turning point weekend in college football because obviously rivalry week is rivalry week because you have your biggest your biggest opponent scheduled but i feel like we've never seen a rivalry week like this where it was kind of like the underdogs are winning most of the games so obviously you've got michigan breaking a long streak to Ohio State. You've got Oklahoma State beating Oklahoma, but then Washington State beat Washington. And all things considered, Washington is having a down year right now. Washington State also has been kind of muddled in a little bit of chaos because of the Nick Rolovich situation. But I remember Washington State having some really good teams and it, it was kind of it was kind of like that Oklahoma State Oklahoma matchup where Washington State comes in with one of their best teams ever and Washington beats them. And so I feel like Washington State being able to beat the Huskies is going to be really good for them and their interim head coach, now full-time head coach Jake Dickert, where he can carry that momentum in the next season. And now because of all of the uh, just craziness going on with Jimmy Lake being fired from Washington maybe it's more of a level playing field for the Washington schools now. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting to mention. I watched the end of the NC state, North Carolina game, which was absolutely bonkers. NC state was down by nine. They had a long touchdown pass and then they had an onside kick recovered it and then scored another touchdown to win. Uh, UNC has had more of the hype in state with uh, Mac Brown coming back and Sam Howell being a draftable quarterback mm -hmm. NC state that had lost the last two to North Carolina. And so I feel like this was a good win for them. NC state had a really good season. Um, Minnesota took back the uh, Paul Bunyan ax from Wisconsin, Wisconsin. All they had to do was win and they were going to the big 10 championship game, but Minnesota takes that away. Uh, Clemson shut out South Carolina. 
we kind of were talking ourselves a little bit into South Carolina over our last podcast, but Clemson shows that even in a down year, they are very dominant. Yep. Um, LSU sent Coach O out in style, beating Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M. I believe that Jimbo was LSU's number one target, so it's kind of ironic that LSU beat them in uh, Coach O's last game. Uh, yeah. Penn State – Penn State lost in another team's whiteout. Uh, it was it was snowy in uh, Michigan Stadium, but once I saw the scene in East Lansing, it was a lot snowier up there. Um, good win for Michigan State to close out the season. And uh, last thing I wanted to mention, Old Dominion is bowl eligible. Uh, they started one and six. Obviously, they didn't play football in 2020, and they won five straight to reach six and six. So out at Ricky Ronnie and the seven five seven. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, also, Ricky is from Penn State. And uh, guess who the uh, first game on the schedule for Virginia Tech is next year? Old Dominion. Uh, so it's going to be a, a lot of coaches getting back together yeah, for the first point. time. So very interesting. Very interesting there. That game's also going to be at Old Dominion as well to start oh the year. So at the five at, at the seven, five, seven to start the year is going to be pretty cool. But yeah, I think that kind of wraps up our our rivalry week recap um you ready to move on to to uh you want to do the pick six this week yeah yeah i'll do it i think you have the first pick or do i have the first pick um i believe i do i believe i do um all right so for the first pick i'm gonna stick to my guns uh i got matt corral uh, i think he's gonna end up being a top 10 quarterback i don't think he's gonna be top five but i think some team's gonna want him or maybe six and seven so stick with matt corral uh, at number two, I'm going to bump up uh, Carson Strong here. I just think I think a team is going to fall in love with him and take him higher. And I, I'm kind of falling in love with him too as a prospect. Yeah, um, I've seen a lot of you know him go into Pittsburgh, which I think could be interesting. Um, so you know, I guess we're going to see. Um, at me, I'll go. Oh no, you have the next one. You have, I, I've got, you have two I've got the next one too. I'm taking Kenny Pickett here. At three. All right. Um, All right. Four, I'm going to go Sam Howell. Um, I just think he's still still got enough weapons to – still got enough tools to where NFL teams are going to be interested. I'm going to drop a bombshell here. I'm going to take Bailey Zappi at number five. Um, His stats have been outrageous. Uh, he's been totally lighting it up, and I feel like the NFL is in a position now where a quarterback like that, given the right team, can come in and be very successful, given that the coaching staff is open to a player like him. So I, f- I feel like, you know, if Jared Goff could come from the air raid before the air raid was kind of trending in the NFL, I feel like a guy like Bailey Zappi can come out of Western Kentucky and uh, – be in a position in the NFL to succeed. So I think he's going to be one of the more interesting quarterback prospects in the draft evaluation this season. I'm very, very interested in him. Okay. Um, And for my last pick, I'm going to go with Desmond Ritter. I'm just kind of banking on his performances coming up soon in the, in the playoff to uh, kind of take his draft stock to the next level. Um, if he has a couple good games or if he has just one good game against a very good defense, I could see his draft stock kind of going through the roof. So um, just kind of just kind of banking on him right now. But that's all for our pick six. Um, want to do some NFL conversation real quick? Um, yeah. Do, do we want to just kind of gloss over the uh, yeah championship games? Like, yeah. Like, we we don't have to pick them, but we just mentioned them. Uh, Oregon, Utah rematch, Pac-12, uh, Wake Forest and Pittsburgh in the ACC championship game. I think that game is really interesting. Uh, Houston is going to Cincinnati for the American championship game. Baylor and Oklahoma State in the Big 12 championship game. Obviously, Iowa and Michigan in the Big 10 championship game. And Alabama, Georgia in the SEC title game. And Bailey Zappi, as I just mentioned, Western Kentucky is going to UTSA for the Conference USA championship game. UTSA actually lost this past week to Western Kentucky, and Zappi's been lighting it up. So maybe there's an upset brewing here for the Roadrunners after putting together a very strong start to their season. Um, What is the most polarizing conference championship matchup, in your opinion, this weekend? Um, I would say Wake and Pitt, but I think now it's Michigan-Iowa. 
Because I think yep. a week ago we would have thought it'd be two completely different teams um, yep. playing in this game. So definitely going Michigan, Iowa. And I think, I think, you know, Iowa's got a real shot to upset Michigan season. Uh, so Michigan needs to come and uh, wake up for this game. Yep. I totally agree with that. And I agree with your Wake Forest pit thing too. It's uh, both yeah. of those teams kind of, you know, the playoff conversation is going to dominate everything, but both those teams have had great seasons in whatever bowl games, both of them go to, it's going to be very well-deserved. Yeah. I also want to bring up real quick, you know, um, the ACC Coastal is kind of a revolving door of who wins that. So seeing Pitt in there isn't very surprising, but seeing Wake in there is very surprising. Um, and usually seeing a team like that, that has never really had sustained success. Usually you expect a coach to leave and go to a bigger program. Uh, and Dave Clawson just signed an extension to stay at Wake. So um, Wake could be around as like a solid program for the coming years. And uh, I think it's very cool to see. So shout out to Wake Forest. Yep, Absolutely. Um, moving on to the NFL, though, there were a few things that happened this weekend that were interesting. Um, you know, rivalry week in, in college football, we saw a lot of a lot of teams kind of flip the script on, on <clears throat> you know, their history with the other team. You know, talking about Michigan finally beating Ohio State and Oklahoma State beating Oklahoma, uh, Washington State beating Washington. And uh, Pittsburgh dominated Cincinnati uh, for a long time. And. Cincinnati hadn't won three games straight against Pittsburgh since 1990, and they have just won three games straight, and they did it in a very good fashion, beating Pittsburgh 41 to 10. Um, so I think it's just kind of showing the pendulum swinging in the opposite direction, and now uh, now the Bengals have sort of all the all the momentum in the world. So that was very cool. Yeah, to they're, see. they're they're kind of they're trending up again after uh, kind of a rough few weeks, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other, the other two teams in the AFC North played each other, and that game was super sloppy on both sides of the ball. So the fact that Cincinnati was the cream of that that division this past weekend is, I think, bodes well for their uh, the rest of their season and postseason uh, prospects. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Moving on, I want to talk about Dan Campbell real quick. He coached an absolute terrible game on Thanksgiving, and I feel like he's consistently looking worse every week um, as a head coach and. What are your thoughts on, on the Lions just absolutely getting rid of him after the season? Yeah, so I, I'm glad that the Michigan game went the way that it did because uh, I can talk more about going to that game, but I also went to the Lions Thanksgiving game, and it was really painful. I I will say, I went. We obviously, we went a couple weeks ago, and it was not very full, but it was a lot more full than it was for that Bengals-Lions game. And it was a great atmosphere. The Lions kind of came out early, and I, I I felt like the vibe was different. I was kind of talking myself in a golf through that mm-hmm. touchdown. Josh Reynolds, shout out Josh Reynolds, came from AM. I think he was on the Rams before. Uh, but it's just it's a new way every week. And this week it was an eight and a half minute drive by the Bears to end the game and kick a field goal. And I didn't it it felt like a lot longer than eight minutes sitting in that in the stadium. And so I feel like you have to give it time for the Lions, but if you have that bad of a record, I feel like ownership might have to make a move. And it stink it stinks, but you know, I don't but Dan Campbell's a rah-rah guy, and I don't know if you need a rah-rah guy managing a game. And it's it's right. it's, it's going to be harder and harder to retain him as the season goes on if they're not able to get a win. Yeah, I think it's the the fashion in which they've lost these last couple of games uh, that's that's really been tough to watch. You know, like the back-to-back timeouts, and like I feel that like it's just so bad. Oh my yeah, gosh, that was re- just... terrible, terrible. Um, so it's like, you know, he's, I, I think he's just not to the level that you need an NFL coach to be, you know, you can see a coach struggle through, uh, you know, some bad times of the team, but you need to see flashes of like, okay, we can do something in the future when we get some pieces, but I feel like there's just been like no flashes of, of future success yet with Dan Campbell. So it's like, you know, all you can do is give good press conferences and that's pretty much it. You should probably get out of here. Yeah. So, yeah, and it, I mean, it. I'm optimistic about the Lions just because of, you know, Aiden Hutchinson's draft stock is exploding right now. 
Obviously, Kayvon Thibodeau seems like a better fit probably at the number one overall pick, just given his, you know, recruiting profile coming out of high school. But Uh it'd be really cool to see Aiden Hutchinson uh, suit up for the Lions. I think he'd be a really good pick for them if they were to be in a position to draft a player like him. And so, obviously, for me as a Lions fan, you have to get excited about the draft at the end of September because the season's already lost. And so, I think if – regardless of who the Lions coach is, picking where they are and having the opportunity to draft a player like him. He's from Michigan, so I think he would buy Yeah, hometown boy. To the Lions, I think think that could work out well. Yeah, no, I agree. I just think it's like it would be tough to to pass up on on Thibodeau, but I think, you know, with with Aiden Hutchinson playing the way he's been playing recently and him being, you know, going to Michigan, being a hometown boy, it would be so cool to see him kind of lead the charge of the – of the, you know, of the Lions defense moving down the road. So um, I'm fully on board with that as long as they don't give up something too great with Thibodeau. So um, yeah. people and, have been calling uh, Hutchinson the long lost Watt brother, which I love. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what he reminds me of. <laughs> so um, in other news, the Cowboys Raiders game on Thanksgiving day had 37.8 million viewers, which is absolutely ridiculous. It's also the second most on Thanksgiving since 1987, which is crazy. Um, I guess it makes sense. This is like the first like real Thanksgiving since COVID and uh, everybody was finally back together. So it's probably a lot of families watching. Um, it's also the best time slot for on Thanksgiving like that. Yeah. at four to seven windows whenever he's eating dinner. So pretty cool for that game to have that many viewers. Um, yeah. I do want to say the Colts were the flavor of the week, which means they lost. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. Now the Patriots are the new flavor of the week uh, in the AFC. Uh, Mac Jones has been pretty much the only rookie quarterback that's looked good. Zach Wilson came back and looked pretty bad for most of the game. He kind of got hurt and then stayed in. So Still no real improvement with him. Uh, Trevor Lawrence looked bad. He had a potential. He was set up to have a potential game-winning drive against the Falcons, and he threw the ball right into the dirt. So uh, not a whole lot of improvement from him either. So it's kind of been a mediocre season for these rookie quarterbacks. Yeah, I think talking about the Patriots, there's a huge game on Monday night. Uh, mm-hmm. The Patriots playing at Buffalo. Um, after Brady left, the bills were kind of like, okay, now this is our division. And I feel like the bills have to be careful here because, you know, they kind of lost a couple dumb games. They just got blown out by the Colts. They lost a stupid one to the Jags. They need to be careful here because if they let the Pats hang around, the Pats could just retake the division. And then the bills are, you mm-hmm. know, the second, second best team in the division. And they have more of a, more of yeah. a climb. So, uh, the Patriots and Bills haven't played each other at all this year. I'm looking at the schedule. They play they still each other play on, twice. Yeah, yeah, they still play twice, which is that's crazy for this late in the season. Yeah, yeah, and so in the, the Patriots could win both those games, and you could be looking at yeah, the Patriots are eight and four. Buffalo Bills are seven and four. It would be really crazy to and disappointing as a Buffalo fan if uh, you're not able to separate yourself from the Pats. Right. Yeah. And to be honest right now, the Patriots are the more complete team. Trey Davis white went down with a, with an injury and he's going to be out for the season. Uh, The Patriots defense looks insane. And the Patriots offense is finally getting help from the receivers. I mean, Kendrick Bourne is looking like a top 15 receiver in the NFL. And I didn't even know who he was till the season. So it's like the Patriots are scary, man. And as an, as an AFC, uh, as a, as a fan of a team from the AFC, I really don't want to meet the Patriots in the playoffs. So, yeah, agreed. Um, I was texting a, a friend, and he's a Patriots fan. I was texting Beach, and I was like, yeah, man, uh, you know, Burrow and Mac Jones might play each other soon, but I'm not really excited for that matchup. I'd rather them play – I'd rather Burrow play somebody else as his first playoff game than have to go to uh, – have to go up to New England. So, um, Yeah, for real. The, the AFC playoffs are looking pretty interesting, although I don't want to see uh, the Titans in there. Like, I, I – there's a few teams that I hate watching, and one of them is the Titans. Like, I don't like watching the Titans. Um, I don't like watching the Broncos. So I'd love to see the Titans fall out of the playoffs um, and somebody like the Colts to get in. So we'll see. But yeah, that's pretty I watched, much. I, yeah, I watched most of the Colts-Bucks game. I felt like that game was there for the Colts to win. 
and they just kind of, I think Wentz made a couple, just a couple mistakes, and just those few mistakes is what uh, lost them the game. Yeah, you can't make those mistakes against against the Bucks because they'll take advantage and they'll win the game. You know, I felt like it was coming the whole time. Whenever you're up on Brady at halftime like that, it just seems like he always comes back. And so I was just waiting for it. And sure enough, Leonard Fournette had somehow five touchdowns, which is ridiculous. But did you see Vita Vale lost a tooth? Yeah. Yeah. And he was smiling about it. Yeah. <laughs> Came you. off the field. He was excited. <laughs> Huge football guy. Man, that would freak me out if I lost a tooth. <laughs> Same. Same. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I don't think there's much else to talk about. We uh, kind of talked about how bad of a game that was on Sunday night between the Ravens and Browns, but, man, that was terrible. That was hard to watch. It was just interception after interception after interception, back and forth. Nobody could score. Um, And the touchdowns that did happen were ugly. Like, Lamar dropped back 30 yards in the pocket and just threw it up randomly, and Mark Mark Andrews is just wide open. So um, just a rough game to watch, but – yeah, hopefully these these Sunday night games get better, but I feel like they won't because next week we have the Broncos and the Chiefs on Monday on Sunday night. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, not great. But yeah, that's pretty much it. All we, that's all I got. Unless you got anything else? Nope, I got nothing else. Hopefully, uh, come back here next week, talk some college football playoff, talk some NFL. Yeah, and uh, keep moving the season along. Does the uh, I'm pretty sure the college football playoff seating comes out tonight, doesn't it? It comes out tonight and on Sunday. Or Sunday is the big rankings reveal, so okay, maybe, maybe we have a podcast Sunday afternoon. Yeah, if you're still here, yeah, that'd be cool. All right, well, that's all we got. We'll see you guys next week.